Hello, and welcome to CART, a podcast about coffee and related topics. I'm your host, Joseph Jenkins. Before getting into the show today, I wanted to remind you all about a few things. Firstly, is that we have a YouTube channel now. You can look up Sustain Coffee Company on YouTube and find us there. Be sure to subscribe to us and comment on videos to get engaged in that community. This is going to be an ongoing thing that we'll be working on, and we would love to hear your feedback and also for you to learn something from the episodes there. Also, we would like to remind you that we do have an Instagram and would love to hear from you there as well, and that's 901 Sustained Coffee. And you can follow us there, you can send us DMs, voice messages that can be featured on the show, whatever you would like, as well as ordering for our refill program. Now, on to the show. Episode 24, Back to Basics, Part 3, Gross Levels. If there is anything that marketing tactics tend to do, it's this. Confuse consumers. Using the name of an already existing thing but making it different from that existing thing is a prime example. Does the term macchiato come to your mind? Imagine selling a radish, but instead of calling it a radish, you call it a carrot instead. How confusing is that? Just like drink names in coffee, there are some other confusing elements in our coffee world that have perhaps been marketed to us in ways that are not fully accurate. Today, we hope to clarify some things about roast levels, and we will do that by the following. Firstly, observing the stages of roasting. Second, seeing how taste preferences can get in the way of objectivity. And third, determining your taste preferences then challenging them. And although this is a Back to Basics episode, it will be a little bit more extensive than previous Back to Basic episodes. First up is what you drinking. Today we're enjoying a washed Burundi Ubuto. It's a Karazi from Mother Tongue Coffee out of California. Um, this roaster is quite interesting. The owner is a previous intelligentsia and blue bottle roaster among other things and she's kind of broken off to do her own thing and we really enjoy her stuff and ironically enough um, her branding is very similar to ours so we can appreciate her similar mindset there but they're out of Oakland California and we brewed this Brundy today through our origami and we made it for two people so we used 30 grams of coffee as well as 480 grams of water out and the brew time was right at four minutes this coffee tastes just like butter and in fact if you want to take it a step further it tastes like cracker jacks with the buttery sweetness that they have and we're really enjoying it now let's talk about roast levels firstly let's talk about the stages of roasting Just as we mentioned in our discussion on grind in a previous episode, where there are usually three distinct categories that are seen, fine, medium, and coarse, we also see roast levels split into a similar fashion. Those categories are usually light, medium, and dark, with variants in between. Then, if that's not arbitrary enough, you have other brands that define their roast levels such as blonde, house, french roast, and so on. This is where the marketing that we mentioned really gets in the way of being confident when choosing a bag of coffee. In order to understand why exactly this naming convention is confusing, 
we first need to take a look at coffee roasting itself. When looking for external resources to help us define the stages of roasting, each had their own variant and stage count. But we concluded that most agree on around five stages, so that is what we will observe today. But know that depending on the resource that one uses, there may be slight variants. One way that roasting could be observed is by viewing it as a process of meticulously removing water from the coffee and, in a sense, cooking it to perfection. Of course, these are oversimplified ways to understand it, but hopefully it's a decent starting place for us. Please note that this is not a definitive guide to roast stages or roasting in general, but more so as a light introduction. So let's go through those five stages that we can define. Number one, drying. Here, since coffee is raw, can contain up to 12% of water by weight, this stage is the initial removal of all that water, or at least some of it. Number two, yellowing. Here, water has been pushed out of the coffee and the initial browning process starts, as well as the beans still have a high density level. These first two stages are important because they are needed for even development or simply to prevent overcooking. Number three, first crack. Here's where gases begin to build up and the pressure eventually causes the beans to break open. And you can see them nearly double in volume. This stage is where the flavors take a leap and they're developing. Number four, development. This stage is highly important for our conversation today. And this is where the roaster determines the balance of flavor that a said coffee has. Furthermore, this is where the color as well as the roast level is really honed in on and determined. Number five, second crack. Here we have yet another crack. And this stage forces oils to come to the surface of the coffee and essentially is charring the coffee. Think of it like a steak that's been left on the grill for far too long and is becoming well done. And thus enters the stage of dark roasted coffee. Let's review that fourth stage known as development. Development is the more technical way to explain roast levels. If a roaster spends too much time in the development stage, the coffee could become overdeveloped. And this is what some would define as over-roasted. But it's not quite as burnt as if it had been taken to second crack. In the same way, if a roaster spends too little time in the development stage, the coffee may be underdeveloped or too light. And this causes the coffee to taste vegetal, often having hay or grass-like qualities. Here we can see the parallel that exists between roasting coffee and cooking. The popular example may be of how a steak is cooked, kind of like we already hinted at, but we think that this is true for vegetables as well. Let's look at, say, a zucchini. Say we decide to simply slice our zucchini and place it in the oven at around 350 Fahrenheit. As the zucchini heats up and starts to smell great, and after 10 minutes of cooking, we decide to remove it from the oven. At this point, the zucchini could be considered cooked by technical standards, but it's likely going to have quite a bit of crunch, which may not be too desirable. So we return the pan to the oven and let it bake for another few minutes. 
when removed from the oven. This time, the zucchini is cooked much more ideally. It's not too crunchy, not too soft, and all the flavor is there. Despite this, we still decide to put it back in the oven and cook it longer. This time, the zucchini is overly soft and becomes mushy. And not only has the texture been ruined, but the natural flavor has been diminished, and even a lot of the nutrients have been cooked out. The reason why we give this example is because every coffee is not like the singular zucchini. Just as with cooking, different vegetables require different cooking times and methods, and coffee is no different. Interestingly enough, we can use an employee from Nestle Nespresso, of all places, to explain some of the science-driven aspects of roasting. That Nestle employee is Dr. Britta Fulmer, and in their book, The Craft and Science of Coffee, a book on understanding, appreciating, and integrating the full value chain of coffee production, we can see this excerpt. Quote, During roasting, coffee beans undergo major chemical transformations, during which a large amount of inorganic gases, mainly CO2, are generated. Much of these gases remained entrapped within the porous structure of the roasted beans, and approximately 1-2% to of the weight of freshly roasted coffee can be attributed to entrapped inorganic gases, excluding water, whereas unroasted green coffee beans contain no entrapped gases. These gases are mainly released during storage, but the process already starts during the final phase of roasting. End quote. Knowing that coffee undergoes these chemical transformations can help us to understand that coffee roasting can be a very detailed balancing act. Okay, now that we have a brief overview of the roasting process and are thinking of zucchini now, what can we do with this information? Let's hear from a home roaster and listener of the show, Noah Randolph, with his thoughts. So one of the interesting things about roast levels in coffee is that for me, at least, they were a helpful guide at the beginning of my journey with coffee. They actually really helped me learn about uh, the ways that coffee could taste good and taste bad. And when I was really young in coffee, I honestly thought that only light roasted coffee was good. And so I always would check the bags for any type of light roasted coffee because for me, anything that was medium or dark was uh, off limits. And uh, as I grew in learning about coffee and just learning about um, the ways that you can brew coffee differently when it's a medium roast or a dark roast, I learned that you can actually get really good cups of coffee from a medium or a dark roast. And so that really helped me understand the uh, ways that we were communicating these terms uh, didn't necessarily mean that one was bad and one was good. Um, so I'll say that at the front is if you're in that kind of light roast only camp, there are ways that you can do a medium roast or a dark roast. But as I grew even further, I realized that a lot of the ways that we are communicating light, medium, and dark are, as you say, very true. It's that we're not really being accurate to um, how that coffee is being um roasted even. Um, sometimes you'll have a coffee uh, that's like a Yemen um, that will roast really uh, lightly, but it will have lost a lot of its weight in uh, water um, when you roast it. And it'll have lost a huge amount of water weight to it 
um, compared to something like an Ethiopia or something. And so I realized as I was kind of roasting on my own that a lot of uh, the ways that we were saying light, medium, and dark uh, didn't necessarily uh, match up to what I was seeing when I was roasting these coffee beans. And uh, at that time, I also began to kind of understand that these terms sometimes are ways to help us get through like the first couple years of learning um, when it comes to coffee. They're ways of helping us sort of put certain um, like a finite number or a finite like name to what we're looking at, you know, Um, but really they're only guideposts, not actually like active uh, like ways of communicating what the coffee is in and of itself. And so anytime you have like a category like light or medium or dark or something like that, there's always going to be exceptions to that category. Um, There's always going to be like even when you think about how we like classify animals uh, and particularly mammals, for instance, we have rules for what falls into the category of mammals. Um, But then there are a couple instances where like the platypus for instance lays eggs um and yet is still a mammal uh and so you have these categories in coffee light medium and dark that also have that kind of same thing and i don't think you should necessarily like throw out those terms altogether just because oh we found this coffee that's the new platypus of the light roasts or whatever it might be. Um, But I do think that it is helpful to know that the deeper you dive into this kind of topic, um, the more those categories do begin to break down. And that's with anything in life, right? Is the more, the more you begin to put it under a microscope, the more things stop acting the way you expected them to and start to act a little differently. And I think that helps us as human beings to know that the world is complicated and um, helps us to be able to be a little bit more humble in the way that we're communicating. Um, because if, if you really look down into the minutia of things, uh, there's always a, well, actually, this is this way, you know, or, well, actually, this is, this is not this, it's this. Um, and it helps us to be able to, um, I think, um, acknowledge that the world is, not a place that's easily quantifiable even. Um, and, uh, I think the same is true with coffee. Um, so, you know, short answer is I think they're great light, medium roast. Uh, the names are great for, um, just knowing generally what the color of your bean is was when you open the bag. And I don't think I have a problem with a roaster putting that on their bag. Um, do I think it's the most accurate? No. Um, do I think it's the most, uh, efficient? Maybe not. Um, but, uh, I do think that, uh, it helps people when they're first starting out to be able to really know what's going on. And I'm always a big fan of helping people that, um, may not know all the ins and outs of coffee. So yeah, that'd be my two cents. Thanks Joey for having me on. Thanks Noah for those thoughts. Those thoughts are good to keep in mind, especially for those who are just getting into coffee. And those final thoughts that Noah mentioned are good to bring us to our next point, which is taste preferences. We are not here to say what roast level is the best, nor that one is wrong while the other is not. While these are things that would be easy for us and really anyone in specialty coffee to do, we're choosing not to do that today. We have learned that just like brewing, roast levels can reflect a personal expression. 
However, there's something about taste as it relates to life experiences. When we tie life experiences to our taste buds, we're unwittingly causing our preferences to get in the way of objectivity. A conversation that we've been having around here is how coffee seems to be an adult thing. Sure, with massive chains such as Starbucks, the demographics are constantly changing. But as of this writing, we can reasonably say that many daily coffee drinkers are adults. Because of this demographic factor, many have experiencing drinking coffee as a sort of coming-of-age moment. Specifically for the working-class American. That scalding, hot, bitter, maybe even second-crack-developed black cup of coffee in the early morning represents a time in their life when they first started drinking coffee. And moreover, stepped into adulthood. This tie to a major life experience explains why different generational cohorts have their coffee roast preferences seemingly set in stone. We think of our own grandfathers and how they are largely disinterested in a delicate, light Ethiopian coffee. We believe that this is not because they would dislike the said coffee that we would offer them, but instead because it challenges their idea of what coffee should taste like. Let's hear from another listener of the show, Nick Griffin, who used to run Avenue Coffee right here in town, and see what his thoughts on this subject are. Fire away, Nick. What's up? So one thing I've noticed is that because coffee is something people don't start drinking till they're adults, it's kind of like a coming of age thing that's like really closely connected to a lot of people's identity. And especially with like roast levels, I've noticed uh, with a lot of like guys, especially they have this attitude of like, um, I only drink dark roast coffee because it's bold and it's the best. And, and it's hard to convince them of anything otherwise. It's hard to convince them of the values of other coffees that are roasted and, and developed at different levels because it's so closely connected with their like identity. Do you have any ideas on how to help people uh, just step outside their comfort zone a little bit and try something different? Yeah, thanks, Nick, for that message. While we do think that this sort of personal experience is good, it can also be a great hindrance to enjoying the vast array of delicious coffee that's out there for us to try. We can answer this question somewhat in our final point for the day, which is determining preference, then challenging it. Firstly, we would encourage those individuals to maybe understand some myths about the caffeine levels that are in different roasts. We believe that this is different from the marketing issues of roast and is more so tied to social factors and other common misconceptions. In Nick's example, drinking dark coffee was related to toughness. So, of course, dark coffee has more caffeine because it's stronger, right? Right? Well, ironically enough, it is quite the opposite. Darker roasted or more properly further developed and overdeveloped coffee has far less density than that of a lighter roasted coffee. And that density discrepancy makes it less caffeinated. Think of our food example again. If you cook something for so long that it begins to burn, it usually will shrink in size. And this is precisely what will occur when roasting coffee. 
In this example, the darker coffee is stronger in taste because it is inadvertently ashy and the heavy oils cause higher levels of bitterness, but it's not stronger in caffeine. But what if you don't yet have a preference? Perhaps you have yet to drink enough variety of coffee to know what you even like in terms of roast. If you have experienced a sort of analysis paralysis when looking at a selection of coffee, instead of focusing on roast level or degree, instead we would encourage you to focus on regions. Many times a specific region of coffee will tell you a lot of what you'd expect it to taste like, along with looking at how the coffee was processed. Challenge your preconceived notions. When you think of coffee, what do you think of, especially in terms of taste? Have you thought of something yet? Now we implore you to take those thoughts and search for coffees that would be in direct opposition to those thoughts. You may be surprised as to what you might find. We hope that by observing the stages of roasting, seeing how taste preferences get in the way of objectivity, and determining how taste preferences can be challenged, has helped you clarify the muddy marketing tactics that we are constantly inundated with. Did you happen to learn something new today? If you did, let us know your thoughts. We would also love to know how you view roast levels. Do you have any preferences for roast levels? Let us know. Thank you so much for listening to episode 24. We hope to see you on the Instagram as well as the YouTube channel. Until next time.